You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Ransomware hits companies in France and the U.S. A Finnish energy company sustains a suspicious IT incident. Turkey jams social media as it rolls tanks against the Kurds. Pegasus spyware is said to be in use against Moroccan activists. Silent Librarian is still making noise. The Lazarus Group is back with a malign crypto trading app. China tightens its cyber laws. And the EU privately warns itself that, yes, companies like Huawei are a security risk. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, October 15th, 2019. In incidents that give point to recent Europol and FBI warnings about the ransomware threat, two major companies, one in the U.S. and the other in France, have sustained significant ransomware attacks. Connecticut-based shipping and postage metering company Pitney Bowes disclosed yesterday morning that it had sustained a serious ransomware attack. The company believes that customer data were not compromised and that the consequence of the attack will be confined to service disruptions. Group M6, the largest media company headquartered in the Parisian suburbs, also disclosed an attack over the weekend and L'Express calls it ransomware. Group M6 programming continued, but some business and customer contact functions were degraded. There's no evidence so far that the attacks are connected. In neither case has the ransomware strain or a threat actor been publicly identified. Another major company, Finland's Neste Oil, that country's principal oil and gas producer and alternative energy company, sustained an incident late Friday that disrupted operations. It's unclear at this time whether Neste was the victim of a cyber attack or simply suffered an IT glitch, but the incident does look suspicious and will bear watching. Turkish authorities have interdicted social media along the Syrian border in support of an offensive against Kurdish forces, Wired reports. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and WhatsApp were blocked for about 48 hours. Social media have served as significant command and control channels for insurgents around the world. The Turkish attacks, conducted on the ground by conventional heavy forces, occur as the U.S. announced pullouts of troops from northern Syria. The U.S. has condemned the attacks, which Turkey maintains are legitimate self-defense against the threat of Kurdish insurgency, and has imposed a range of sanctions against Ankara. It is, of course, the tanks and infantry that drew the sanctions, not the ISP's takedown of social media, but conventional operations in Syria can be expected to be accompanied by cyber operations. Moroccan authorities appear to be using Pegasus spyware, a tool produced by NSO Group, to monitor dissidents. 
Ars Technica reports that two prominent Moroccan human rights activists received SMS messages that sought to induce them to download Pegasus onto their devices. An SO group told Ars that, as is the case with any lawful intercept product, it's possible that Pegasus can be misused and that NSO Group is investigating the incident with a view to taking appropriate action. NSO Group has been criticized for making its tools available to governments they might have foreseen would abuse them. It's undeniably true that software like Pegasus has legitimate and even life-saving uses, but critics say that NSO Group's products seem to be particularly likely to fall into the hands of repressive or irresponsible governments. German company Greenbone Networks recently conducted research examining the exposure of medical imaging data online. The CyberWire's Carol Terrio files this story. With me today is Dirk Schrader, a cyber resilience architect at Greenbone Networks. Now, I've asked Dirk onto the show to share his recent findings from a Greenroom report. So health providers around the world store medical images, so things like x-rays and scans and the like, and a lot of them use the same protocol. This is known as DCOM, or Digital Imaging and Communications in Medicine. And this makes it easy for surgeons or consultants or diagnosticians or any medical professional to access the files. Dirk, thank you so much for making time to come on the show today. So let me guess, you led this research to see if there was any issues in how the uh, data was stored, and you found out that everything was tip-top and there was no problems at all, I imagine. Well, uh, thanks for having me here today. Um, First of all, no, uh, it's not (laughs) all in good shape. The details we found are really concerning. So we've analyzed about 2,300 systems, Um, found that 590 of them are completely unprotected and and connected to the internet, which is a a major mistake in itself. There was no password or encryption or anything? Think of it like uh, being connected to a browser, just that the browser is uh, specialized to uh, view medical images. Right. No protection at all. So this is kind of concerning for people like me, because obviously this is incredibly sensitive information. Tell me, were were there... PII involved as well as the images? Yes, there were. We've seen names, date of birth, uh, date of examination, reasons for examinations. We have had access to images related to that exam. Um, Sometimes the patient data was sort of uh, identified by social security numbers. There was lots of, of personal identifiable information in it, yes. Oof. We have informed ProPublica and the German TV broadcaster about our findings just because of uh, the massive scale of the problem. Right. For us, it was important to have media coverage to alert people about the problem and in the same way to contact the authorities in the various countries to resolve the problem. So this problem is rather huge. How can you inform everyone to take a look at... You know how their medical data is being stored and what they should do to make it safer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the mm. point. So what I read from your report is you found something like 24 million data records that were improperly protected and stored. Yes. And that's huge. That includes 700 million images related to that 24 million patient records, and 400 million of them were actually accessible. Really, hmm. click on them and you see them. Wow. Now tell me, what, who's the worst country? The worst country, uh, let's say the top five are U.S., Brazil, India, Turkey, and South Africa. U.S. is up in the top five? Yes. 
Why do you think that is? I mean, it's always going on about how cyber resilient they are as a nation. Were you surprised by that? Uh, Actually not, because um, in preparation for this research, we did another research asking um, critical national infrastructure providers about their approach to cyber resilience. And we found out that only one third globally said, oh, we consider ourselves cyber resilience. And the other two thirds are considering themselves not to be cyber resilient. I know, but you know, there are seriously huge laws out there. There's HIPAA, there's GDPR. Do you think they've taken your alert seriously? Or, Or do you see changes being made? We do see changes being made. We do see, on the other hand, also uh, countries not reacting at all, at least from what we can see. I'm not sure about the internal progressing there. For me, the most important thing here to to highlight is we are so much focused on, on attacks that we forget to look at ourselves and our capabilities to, to withstand, to be resilient. You know, the scary thing that occurs to me here is if someone nefarious got their hands on this data, it would be um, an exquisite way to get information from a social engineering or phishing point of view. Yeah. Definitely. Whether you have a, 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 a spine problem, whether we have had X-rays or CTs, MRTs for cancers, which can be inferred from the data because a certain circumstance in your personal life and use that against you. Can I just say, I am very happy you guys invested in this research because I, and I'm sure everyone else out there, want this fixed ASAP. You've been listening to Dirk Schrader from Greenbone. Again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Proofpoint has issued another report on Silent Librarian, the Iranian threat group also tracked as Cobalt Dickens and TA-407. Silent Librarian, associated with Iran's Mabna Institute, targets universities through phishing campaigns that make heavy use of spoofed university brands and library-themed fishbait. The objective appears to be intellectual property theft. Silent Librarian fishes for its prospects with emails telling the recipients that they need to renew their library privileges, return overdue material, and so on. North Korea's Lazarus Group has renewed its deployment of an Apple backdoor against cryptocurrency exchanges. Malware Hunter team alerted researchers to the activity Friday. It was further examined by researcher Patrick Wardle, who sees the malware as a variant of the apple juice operation Kaspersky described in August. In this round, the Lazarus Group is again using a front company, JMT Trading, to upload malicious code to GitHub. The back door is embedded in code that purports to be an innocent cryptocurrency trading app. Trade if you must, speculators, but please do so with appropriate caution. Evidently feeling confident and frisky after having dunked on the NBA last week, Beijing has enacted a range of laws that give the government super-user access to devices in the country and that mandate extensive data sharing from companies who wish to do business in China. The famously privacy-sensitive Apple, known for pointing out, while looking across Silicon Valley at Google, that if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, has itself been providing data on users in China to Tencent, a Chinese conglomerate that's about as remote from the Chinese government as Huawei. Speaking of Huawei, the European Commission last week released a public report that, while not saying it in so many words, was nonetheless read as a warning about Huawei. The Wall Street Journal has now broken the story that there was a second non-public warning circulated among European governments that was more direct and less ambiguous. 
The most striking part of the account is the reported inference that there's no easy technical fix or vetting that's likely to mitigate the risk. A source told the journal, quote, These vulnerabilities are not ones which can be remedied by making small technical changes, but are strategic and lasting in nature. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Great to have you back, Joe. It's good to be back, Dave. Joe, we got a letter from a listener that I wanted to share because I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, The letter goes like this. He says, Hi, Dave. Here's a big picture issue I'd like to just throw out there to you. Years ago, I thought I wanted to weld for a living. After doing it for a few years, I realized most well-paying and secure jobs required extensive travel and several years away from home and family. So I decided to go back to school and earn my associates in cybersecurity. Now I see the cybersecurity industry making the same mistake the welding industry has made. Very few companies want to hire people like me who are inexperienced but ambitious. Most jobs under an entry-level search require a bachelor's degree and at least five years of experience. My main point is this. If companies want to secure their own future, they need to begin investing now in more raw talent. It's okay for them to ask for experienced professionals. I realize some jobs truly require years of experience. But start hiring more new people and invest in them. Don't just ask for the best people, because eventually, with the way it's heading, the future's best won't be very good. You need experience to get a job, but need a job to get experience. I don't mean to rant, Dave. It just makes me disappointed to see this happening to such a large and important industry. I'm not just sad for me. I'm sad for what I know the future will look like unless companies change their view of this issue. Joe, your response? <sighs> Go on. Exacerbated. <laughs> Exasper- <laughs> yeah. Go on. 
Uh, Dave, this is an issue that is near and dear to my heart. You're 100% correct about this. And not only that, but it's something that really, really gets my dander up, let's say. Uh, all right. All right. Entry level in cybersecurity is not five years of experience. Mm-hmm. Someone with five years of experience in cybersecurity is not even considering your entry-level position. You need to change what you're looking for. What you're looking for is smart people who can learn quickly and who work well in teams. That's what you're looking for in cybersecurity entry-level positions. You're not looking for people with CISSPs, which I have seen even recently. Nobody with a CISSP is looking at a job that pays less than six figures. You're going to have to accept that as a fact. Why do you think we see this so much? In other words, what what are they... It seems to me like there's some gaming of the system or attempt to game the system going on here. Do you think they're just putting it out there, trying to find someone who's willing to be underpaid? I, yeah, I, I, I think that they're trying to... It's one of three things. It's it's like you're suggesting, greed, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to get the, the best person for the lowest amount of money. Right. Nothing wrong with that, I suppose. You're running a, running a business. That's, right. But that's let me business. explain something to you again. I mean, this is this is interesting information. Yeah. There are 300,000 open security positions in the United States right now. Okay. Uh, and I can't remember where I got this information from, but I just researched it just a couple of days ago. I'm speaking off the top of my head. Yeah. There are 700,000 people working in the field right now. That means that close to one third of the jobs in this industry are not filled. And the people that are here in these positions right now are not going to fill them. All you're doing is looking for these experienced people. You're poaching from other positions. Right, you're just shuffling people around. Shuffling people around. Mm -hmm. We need to get new people into these positions. We need to get new people like this listener who's taken the initiative, gone out and gotten an associate's degree in cybersecurity. This guy is an ideal candidate for an entry-level position. So why, in in an industry that is, I would hazard to say, cash-rich... Right. Why not invest in the new talent? Why not invest in those? Invest in your company. The, right. Why not? Well, so the the greed is the first one. Mm-hmm. I think ignorance is the second reason this happens. All right. People just don't make the effort to understand what is an entry level position in cybersecurity. They think, oh, an entry level position at uh, working in the loading dock is five years of experience. Therefore, an entry level uh, position working in cybersecurity is five years of experience. Mm. No. No, that's not the case. You're dealing with two completely different sets of skills. Okay. Right? And the other one, I think, is is fear. People are afraid to hire new people. You're going to have to get over that fear and hire new people. Hire new people and help grow their skills and, and understand that part of your team is going to have to consist of absolute newbies in this field and that they're going to have to be part of your team of security people. Companies are just going to have to make the investment in new people, and that's just the way it is. And if you're really not willing to make the investment, then be prepared to have that position unfilled for a very long time. <laughs> just get used to just when and when and when your boss asks you why don't you have that position filled, you should tell them it's because I don't understand how to fill that position and I'm not good at doing my job. I, I can tell, Joe. You're you're. This is something that you feel strongly about. It, it is something that irritates me all the. I I hear this from so many people. This is not the first time I've heard this complaint. I I've gotten some certification. I've gotten an associate's degree. I'm ready to get into the field. I'm ready to start working. I'm ready to get my hands dirty, but nobody will hire me. Right. Why won't people hire these people? And we and, have, and yet they're out there hearing that 
people can't fill the positions. Right, and They're yet we're hearing there's 300,000 and... open positions right. in this country right. alone, globally 1.8 million. Mm-hmm. And, and we can't fill the positions because you're not willing to hire the right people. Mm-hmm. That's why. Take a chance. Yep, take a chance. Roll the dice. Yep. All right. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.